Psalm 40. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet there are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame, who say to me, Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Let us go now to Luke 8 and read verses 49 through 56, our sermon text for this morning. While Jesus was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him, except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This far, the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of the word of God uh, this morning. Brothers and sisters, I do want you to understand something about your pastor. I do actually love Christmas. 
I, I think it is a wonderful tradition to remember the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I am glad that this tradition remains within our culture. Our family celebrates this holiday, and as you know, it is our tradition here at Emmaus to offer a special Christmas Eve candle lighting service, uh, wherein we read the narrative of our Savior's birth from the Scripture, sing, and again I say it is a wonderful tradition in my opinion. I, I mention my love for Christmas because you have probably noticed that I do not typically break from my normal preaching routine as Christmas draws near. And I suppose that some may interpret this to mean that I do not care for this holiday or that I do not think it should be celebrated at all, but that would not be true. Why then do I rarely break from my normal preaching routine during the holiday season? I'll mention two reasons. One, though there are some man-made traditions that are good and profitable, Christmas being one of them, we should be careful to protect the public worship of God from being encroached upon by the traditions of men. I hope you understand this and agree with this, and I hope you can also see how big of a problem this can quickly uh, become. Some traditions, even good traditions, can encroach upon the public worship of God and become kind of all-consuming. Now, given that the Christmas holiday is about the birth of Jesus... It would not be wrong to take the opportunity to preach a series of sermons on the doctrine of the Incarnation or on the narrative of Christ's birth. In fact, I'm sure I'll do this from time to time. I'm not opposed to it, but I do think we should be careful to not allow traditions to encroach upon the worship of God. I also do not think we should be strictly bound uh, to the tradition of preaching Advent sermons during the Advent season. Uh, two, here is the second reason I rarely break from uh, my normal preaching routine. As we approach Christmas each year, I often find that the passage or passages of Scripture that we are coming to, in whatever book we happen to be working our way through, are suitable for the Christmas season, even if they are not passages that have to do with the story of Jesus' birth or uh, passages that have to do with the doctrine of the Incarnation. And really this should not surprise us, given that the Scriptures are all about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and our reconciliation with God through faith in Him. Brothers and sisters, during the Christmas season, we should not only marvel over the fact or event of the Incarnation, but over the purpose and result of the Incarnation too. Many texts of Scripture speak to the purpose for and result of the incarnation of the eternal Son of God. And so we are not restricted to consider only Luke 1 through 2 or Matthew 1 through 2 or John 1 uh, during the holiday season each year, but we are free to marvel over the incarnate Son of God from many other texts and vantage points as well. And this is what we will do today. We will consider the purpose or result of the Incarnation from this sorrowful story that is found in Luke 8, 49-56. At first glance, this story, with its repeated mention of death, might seem incompatible with this holiday we are celebrating, which is all about birth. But in fact, I think this is a wonderful passage for us to consider on Christmas Eve. Uh, 
Why is the birth of Jesus worth remembering and celebrating? It is because this Jesus, who was born to a poor virgin and laying in a manger, is the eternal Son of God incarnate. He was born into this world for this purpose, to save sinners from death and from eternal judgment. And in the passage that is open before us today, Jesus demonstrates that He has the power to save. He has the power to save all who place their faith in Him from death and to give them new and eternal life. This passage, which is open before us today, demonstrates this most profoundly. Jesus' victory over death and His power to give eternal life is seen most clearly in His own resurrection from the grave. He was crucified and buried, and on the third day He was raised to incorruptible glory. But the Gospels also record three instances during the public ministry of Jesus wherein He raised others from the dead by the word of His power. We've already considered one of these stories in our study of the Gospel of Luke. It was back in Luke 7, 11 through 17 that we found the story of the raising of a widow's only son. The text says that Christ drew near to a, to a city and He saw a funeral procession. It was a very sad scene. Uh, there was a widow who was grieving the loss of her only son. And when the Lord saw this, the text says that He had compassion on her. And He said to her, Do not weep. Then He came and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And He said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. A second, and probably the most famous account of Christ raising the dead, is found in John chapter 11. There we are told that Jesus spoke to his friend Lazarus, who had died and was in the tomb for four days, saying, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. So, there are two stories regarding Jesus raising the dead by the word of his power. The third account of Jesus raising the dead is found here in Luke 8, 49 through 56. It is the story of Jesus raising the only daughter of a man named Yarius. Yarus. I cannot decide how to say his name. I was actually talking with my wife about this. How do you say it? Jairus. Yarios is how you say it in the Greek, and so it throws me off every time I see it in the, in the English. Jairus. We'll go with that. Um, I would like to consider this story with you in three parts. Firstly, I want, to, I want you to see that Jesus compassionately and graciously entered into this house of death and mourning. Secondly, I want you to see that once there, He delivered a message of hope and peace to all who are in this house of death and mourning. And thirdly, I want you to see that while in this house, Jesus demonstrated that He has the power to free us from bondage to death and from all mourning. I have worded these three observations carefully. 
so that they might be applied not only to what Christ did for the house of Jairus, but also to what he had done for the house of death and mourning that is this world. Through the incarnation, he has entered into this house of death and mourning to deliver a message of hope and peace and to conquer death by His own resurrection from the grave, thus demonstrating that He has the power to save those who come to Him by faith from death and judgment, and to give them life eternal. I believe this is the proper interpretation of this passage that is open before us today. Jesus did something kind and and very wonderful for this man and for his young daughter who had died at the young age of 12. Indeed, we find Jesus compassionately, mercifully entering into this situation, touching this situation, giving life, bringing life out of death, and we should note that and give thanks to God for it. But I do think it is meant to function as a picture of what Christ has done for the world in His incarnation, that He has entered into this house of death and mourning. He has touched death indeed. He tasted death for us and He has won the victory over it so that we might no longer be bound by the fear of death, bound to hopeless mourning. He has brought life out of death and this He has done for all who trust in Him. He was raised again on the third day and in this way He has won the victory and secured the eternal reward for His people. First, let us see that Jesus graciously entered this house of death and mourning. This story is at first a very sad story. This man named Jairus was a ruler of a synagogue. His only daughter was very ill and was on the brink of death at the young age of 12. His great love for his daughter and his faith in Christ were put on full display. In 841, we are told that he came to Jesus and fell at his feet and implored him to come to his house. Clearly, he was hoping that Jesus would heal his beloved daughter. And in verse 49, we are told that when Jesus was still speaking, that is, when he was still speaking to the woman he had healed, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. So it is difficult to imagine a more sorrowful scene than this. Death is always mournful, but this was especially dreadful. This was the only daughter of Jairus. And she was only 12 years of age. You know, as I was reflecting on this sorrowful scene, it occurred to me that by God's grace, we enjoy so many wonderful blessings in this life that it is possible for us to live day after day, week after week, month after month, and even year after year, and to think very little of death. I'm afraid this is especially true in our affluent society where men and women often live to a ripe old age and where death is often hidden from our sight. And while I'm grateful for this blessing, it is not a wise way to live, friends. It is not wise for us to put the reality of death so firmly out of our minds. But the one who is wise will consider his or her mortality and will prepare for death, yes, even at a young age. The one who is wise will see that we do in fact live in a house of death and mourning, 
blessings abound in this world, that is true. But death will come to all. And so we should not ignore this reality, but we should face it and we should prepare for it by turning from sin and by trusting in Christ as Lord and Savior. You know, this illustration came to my mind. It's kind of like the high school student who knows the final exam is coming, but he just does not want to think about that fact. (laughs) So he puts it out of his mind. He does not think about it. He ignores this reality. But will the final exam eventually come? Yes, it will. It cannot be avoided. It would be far better to just square with the reality that the final exam is coming and then to begin to prepare for it. Um, You and I do this sort of thing all of the time. Uh, We ignore reality. We procrastinate. But the thing comes eventually. And so it is with death. It will touch all. And so we should not ignore it, brothers and sisters. Face the reality and prepare for it. The wise man, the wise woman, will do this very thing. I want you to notice that Christ did not retreat from this mournful situation. He did not keep His distance or refuse to draw near to the suffering and to the grief of death. No, instead Christ showed great compassion to this man who fell at His feet, whose name means Yahweh enlightens And he went into the house of mourning with him. He entered the house of mourning to free his daughter from the chains of death and to free him from his bondage to hopeless and helpless sorrow. Friends, I want you to see that it was for this very purpose that the person of the eternal Son of God became incarnate. God, in His perfect love and mercy, sent the Son into this sinful and cursed world in order to save sinners, to rescue them from the curse of sin and death and from hopelessness and despair. And how did He come into this house, this, the house of this world? He did so by assuming a human nature, body and soul. It would be through the human nature He assumed that the Son of God would touch and taste death for all of God's elect. What Jesus did for Jairus by going with him down into his house of mourning was but a little picture or taste of what Christ has done for all who believe upon him. So we have observed that Jesus graciously entered this house of death and mourning. Notice secondly that Jesus delivered a message of hope and peace. Look at what he said to Jairus in verse 50. Do not fear, only believe. And she will be well. Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. These are precious words. They must have brought great comfort to this man in the moment that they were spoken. They are words of comfort that we might say to one another when seeking to console. But when they are spoken by Jesus, the Son of God incarnate, they have an entirely different force, don't they? Do not fear, Jesus said. Fear what? He must mean, do not fear, even death. Only believe, he said. Believe what or in whom? Believe in Jesus and know for certain that he has the power to save from death must be the meaning. And she will be well, Jesus says. What does this mean? Well, I suppose it could have been taken as a reference to her life in eternity. She will be well in the end. Indeed, I remember that story about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And that's what the sister of Lazarus thought at first. 
I know he will raise on the last day, she replied. And indeed, that is true. But Jesus' intention in that moment was to do something far greater. It was to raise him up on that very day. And indeed, the words, and she will be well, could be taken in that sense. She will be well in the end. She will be well in eternity. But well, we know that Jesus' purpose was to make the girl whole and well immediately so that he might put his power on display. In verse 51, we read, And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. Here we are beginning to see that Peter, John, and James have a special and privileged place amongst the twelve disciples of Jesus. And here we are also seeing that Jesus is beginning to do things in a more private manner as he prepares to go even to Jerusalem as he heads to the cross. We are told that all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. Perhaps you can see that each of these sayings of Jesus can be taken in two ways. First, in a narrow and simple sense, they may be taken as words spoken to Jairus and to the members of his household regarding the immediate circumstance of the death of his daughter. Secondly, in a broad and more complex sense, each of these sayings of Jesus may be taken as words spoken to all who come to him by faith, hoping that he will free them and those they love from the chains of death. The words that Jesus spoke to Jairus are the words that he speaks to all who come to him by faith. Do not fear, only believe, and you will be well. And to those who have lost loved ones in the Lord, he says, Do not weep, for they are not dead, but sleeping. Sleep being a way of speaking about death. When Christ came into this world, he brought with him this good news which is called the good news of the kingdom of God. He came into this house of mourning, this house of death, and He brought good news with Him. He brought words of comfort, words of hope, not empty words either, but words of comfort and hope that have power in them. For it was the eternal Son of God who spoke them. It was Christ Jesus the Lord, the one who has power even to raise men and women from the dead. In verse 53, we are told that those who were in the house of mourning, grieving the death of the girl, they laughed at him when he said, she is not dead but sleeping, for they knew that she was dead, and so she was. But to Christ, she was only sleeping, and he came to wake her. This is what those who do not believe do. When they hear the the word of the gospel of the kingdom of God, when they hear the words of hope that our Lord and Savior has brought to us, they do not cling to them by faith, but they laugh, they mock, they scorn. But those who know Christ, those who have faith in Him, do not laugh. They cherish these words of comfort and hope instead. The third and final observation that I have for you this morning is that Jesus demonstrated that He has the power to free us from bondage to death and from all mourning. So He did not only deliver words of hope, He demonstrated that He has the power to follow through on His words and to actually deliver us from the bondage 
to death and mourning. Verse, verse 54, But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat, and her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. What a gift this was for this young girl and for her family. Please hear me, brothers and sisters, what Christ did for this one girl at His first coming, He will do for all who have faith in Him at His second coming. This was a precious gift for this girl and for her family, but it was meant to function as a sign, as a picture, as a demonstration of what Christ will do for all who trust in Him at His second coming. To the young girl He said, Child, arise, and she arose. And to all who die having faith in Christ, He will on the last day say, Arise, and we will rise bodily. This is what the Apostle Paul teaches in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, saying, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then Paul adds these words, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We are to encourage one another with these words concerning the resurrection of the dead on the last day. Christ has won the victory over sin and death. He has been raised from the dead as a kind of first fruits. And when He comes again, the Scriptures teach that He will, he will raise those who have fallen asleep. That is to say, He will raise those who have died. When Christ spoke to the child, saying, Child, arise, we are told that her spirit returned and she got up at once. The thing that Christ did for this one child will be done to all on the resurrection day, which is also the day of judgment. At death, the spirit or soul of a person departs from the body. The souls of those who have faith in Christ go into the presence of God, now that Christ has been raised and has ascended. The souls of those who die in their sins go to punishment in Hades or Sheol. The bodies of all do rest in the grave, but on the last day when Christ returns, the bodies of all who have died will be raised from the grave and reunited with their souls. Those who have faith in Christ will be ushered in to the new heavens and earth, body and soul. And those who die apart from Christ and in their sins will be judged. And the scriptures say that they will be cast into hell, body and soul. When Christ raised this young girl from the dead bodily, and when her soul returned to her body, what did she do? She got up at once, 
And here we are given a little foretaste of the resurrection, the great and general resurrection that will take place on the last day when Christ returns. Luke tells us that Christ directed those in the house to give the girl something to eat so that she might be strengthened and refreshed. And here I think we have a little foreshadowing of what will be enjoyed by those who belong to Christ on the resurrection day. They will be raised bodily. Their souls will return to their bodies. They will be ushered into the new heavens and new earth. And what will they enjoy there except the marriage supper of the Lamb? The Apostle John was granted insight into this. Listen to Revelation 19, 6-9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These words are true. They are the true words of God. So the order experienced by this young girl when Christ raised her up, is the order that will be experienced by all who are united to Christ by faith on the last day. She was raised bodily, and then she ate. And if we have faith in Christ, we too will be raised bodily, and then we will eat. More than this, we will feast with our God, with Christ our Redeemer, and with all His redeemed in the new heavens and new earth, as we are invited to partake of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Why did the eternal Word of God come into this world in the Incarnation? He entered this house of death and mourning to proclaim the good news of the Kingdom of God and to win the victory over sin, Satan, and even death itself, so that He might set people free and raise them up on the last day unto glory. This was the purpose of His coming. This is why He entered into this house of death and mourning, to bring, to bring hope, to win the victory over death, so that all who would trust in Him would have the hope of life everlasting. I want you to listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.20 as he speaks to this. He says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Friends, I ask you, do you believe this? As you ponder 
baby Jesus this holiday season. Do you also think of the man Jesus who raised this girl from the dead by the word of his power and who himself died and was raised from the dead on the third day and who will one day return to raise the dead to judge and to usher in his people to the new heavens and earth that he has earned for them? Do you think of this Jesus, the man Jesus, who is the person of the eternal Son of God incarnate? Do you think of him when you think of the baby Jesus? And then I might ask you, not only uh, do you think of him, but do you believe in him? Do you trust him? And if you trust in him, do you heed his voice as he speaks to you, saying, Do not fear, only believe and all will be well. Do you heed His voice? Does this belief in Christ, this trust in Christ, as you looked Him, does it translate into peace in your heart? Does it enable you to to overcome that natural fear of death that we all have? Do not fear, only believe, all will be well, Christ said. Dear brethren, Christ has not promised to keep us from every difficulty or hardship. Yes, even the followers of Christ do pass from this world through the trial of death. But if Christ has won the victory over a death for all who are His, then the sting of every affliction and even death itself has been removed. This is what Paul the Apostle was reflecting upon when he wrote these words, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then listen to the application that the Apostle makes. Therefore... My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father in heaven, I do ask that you would help us to fix our eyes upon Jesus, to ponder Him, to ponder the Incarnation, to not only marvel over the fact of the Incarnation, that the Eternal Son of God would assume a human nature, but Lord, I pray that You would help us to also ponder and marvel over the purpose and result of the Incarnation, namely, victory over death. Lord, I pray for those who have not yet placed their faith in Christ, that they would turn to Him and trust in Him. Lord, grant them this gift to turn from sin and to hope and to trust in the Messiah. And for those who have believed upon the Messiah, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our faith. Lord, encourage our hearts. Strengthen our faith so that we would be able to heed the words of Jesus Christ and thus be freed from fear. Lord, grant us this hope and peace so that we might live in this world steadfast and immovable. Father, we thank you for the great kindness that you have shown to us to provide us a Savior, a Redeemer, Christ the Lord. It's in his name that we pray and all of God's people say, Amen.